for this one little girl, a teenager, lying in a hospital bed. I'm not sure if she were to have heard that song, she would have said everything will be all right. She had just given birth to a baby that the state, the state of Washington, had deemed her unfit to care for. Courageously, though, that she brought this baby into the world and was going to relinquish this little baby girl into the custody of the state. And all she wanted to do was leave. All she wanted to do was run away, uh, you know, cut the hospital wristband off and get out of her gown, put on her clothes and go back to a place where she had no sense of support, no sense of security, where she had no one in her corner and the anguish of leaving her baby, but she couldn't, the nurses said. You can't leave the hospital until you name this child that you've just birthed. And so they gave her a book. They gave her a book of names. It had to go onto the public record. All she'd want to do was leave, but she has to flip now through hundreds and hundreds of names. And she lies in her hospital bed and she flips from one page to another page to another page. And finally, she gets to the M section and she stops and she sees this beautiful sounding name, Malia. And then she looks at the definition uncertain. There were a few different definitions that go with it, but the word that really popped was uncertain. And we, and we had a few of the descriptors of what uncertain means up on the screen just prior to that song. Uncertain means not able to be relied on, not known or definite, undetermined, unsettled, unresolved, unsure, pending, in the balance, in limbo, up in the air, debatable, open to question and doubt. Unpredictable, unforeseeable, incalculable, speculative, unreliable, untrustworthy, undependable. Everything in this young girl's world was uncertain for her. And the drug addiction that she was handling, the fact that she was all alone, had no one there, certainly not even the father. And everything was uncertain for this baby, Malia that she was going to relinquish into the custody of the state. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Uncertain. Some of us can connect with that right now. We live in a shaking world where everything seems to just be teetering and so many things seem to feel uncertain. In your own world, perhaps, things seem uncertain as well, I would imagine. Even in the sense of family, maybe there are some uncertainties in your own family, underneath your own household. We're in this series called Insta Family. We've been talking about all the different ways in which God does family, builds family. And maybe there's some uncertainties that you're navigating right now. Just like the uncertainty for my brother and his wife, Robert and Anastasia Diebel, who were uncertain about whether they would ever have a child. And after 20 years or so of waiting and preparing and going through all the classes offered through the state of Washington up in the Seattle area, this little baby girl, Malia, was placed into 
their arms. And I want to show you a picture. This is of my sister-in-law, Anastasia, with Malia. And at the time, she was not uh, in anybody that's familiar with the foster care system and how you have to be so discreet about things. Malia at the time went by M, and we couldn't show her face, but you can see the joy in Anastasia's eyes. How do we move in our lives from uncertain to confident, from uncertain to secure? In family and then as it relates with God as, as he looks at you and me. In fact, it's fascinating. There was so much uncertainty going on at the time of the writing of the New Testament. The, the whole second half of the scriptures, everybody was in uncertain. They were uncertain about who's the next Caesar going to be. They were uncertain about where's our place in the world. And even in the church, they were uncertain. Jews were uncertain as they were coming to know Jesus because they were being excommunicated out of the synagogues and out of the temple. The Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, they were uncertain because everything in the story of Jesus kind of fed through the Jewish ancestry in the lines, all the stories of the first part of the Bible. That was the Jewish story, not the Gentile story. So they didn't know their place in the family of God. And so the, the, the writer of much of the New Testament, his name is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wants to speak right into this uncertainty. He wants to bear and birth a confidence in them. And what does he use? What language does he choose to, to describe just how firm and secure they are in the kingdom of God and in the family of God? Well, let's look. You can look with me on the screen here. Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite passages of all time. Verse 14. Paul's going to talk through uncertainty to this confidence. Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in, and here's the uncertainty, in fear again. All the looking over your shoulder, all the wondering whether you fit or belong, or whether you'll get kicked out if people really found out your story. No, 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 no. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and we would add daughtership. And by him, by the spirit, we cry, Abba. That means daddy, father. You're in the family of God. It's so tender. You don't like just go, uh, dear holiest God. No, it's like you call the God of the cosmos, daddy. The most intimate language, Papa, Abba, the Spirit himself, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, if we're in the family, then guess what? We're heirs. You're written in the will and trust of God. All that's true in the kingdom of God, all that's bestowed to his kids, all that flows down, flows to you, Paul says. We're heirs of God, and get this, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. What was the key word in all of it? What did Paul choose to speak to an uncertain people and to speak to you and I today? He chooses the word adoption. Did you know that in the time of his writing, the word adoption was far more respected than it is today? When we think about adoption, I know for me, for much of my life and journey, I was like, adoption's cool, not for me, not, but kind of a good plan B if you're 
biologically not able to get pregnant. Adoption could even be a little bit of a slam. We were talking this morning as a team as we were all getting, getting going, and, and, uh, and one of the gals said, yeah, so we're talking about adoption today. My other siblings, they always chided me that I was the adopted one. In other words, you're the black sheep. Do you hear the, do you hear the little bit of the slam in that? And, I, and I, just, I just said before everyone, and I want you to know today, my hope is that when we leave here today, adoption no longer becomes a slam, no longer becomes a critique, no longer becomes a plan B, but it's something so celebrated, something so exciting, something so bestowed, something so revelatory from God, something that gets celebrated and shouted from the rooftops because this adoption thing is so amazing. Paul talks about it five times. He chooses this word, it's this, like Justin says, this, this thread that goes through all of the, of the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. It's a thread that goes straight through God's heart. I want to show you another place. This is in Ephesians. This is so rich. I'm going to, it's from a different translation, so I want to just pull it up here on the screen and we'll read it together. Even before he made the world, think about this. We're in a series called InstaFam. This is not so insta this is like eterna, eternal, eternal, right? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God chose us. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved you see what Paul's doing here? He's just from the Romans. He's like, don't be, a, don't be afraid. Don't be uncertain. Like, you're heirs. Like, it all flows to you. And here he's going, look, before God even, like, formed the cosmos, he knew that he was going to adopt you into his family. That's crazy. That's beautiful. Now, why would Paul use that language? Why would Paul use the, the language adoption? He sat back and goes, how do I convince insecure, uncertain Jewish people, insecure, uncertain Gentile people, with all that they've got going on in their lives, with all the pain and in some cases the persecution, how do I continually remind him? He's like, I know what I'll do. I'll use the language of, of emperors. I'll use the language of Caesars and kings. Because adoption is what the Caesars use to secure their throne. Julius Caesar, he adopted Augustus. Augustus adopted Gaius and Lucius. Tiberius adopted Germanicus and Nero. And so in the time of Paul's writings, and in the time of Jesus, by the way, Jesus was born under Augustus. He died under Tiberius, which means there were successions, and there were coronations, and there were parades, and there were amazing celebrations and, and festive occasions in which new emperors, new Caesars, were secured to the throne through adoption. You following me? Like, what could be more secure? Actually, adoption was often considered more secure legally than a biological uh, inheritance back in that day. In fact, here's what William Barclay, a commentator who's very astute on these things, here's what he has to say about the power of adoption back in the day. When the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. 
The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son or daughter in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. Firm and secure, nothing uncertain about that. Would you agree? Do you see how powerful adoption is? Do you see why Paul would use this language? And in fact, there's another reason he did. Because it's not just the New Testament. It's actually the whole Bible is a thread throughout the entire biblical narrative of adoption. Moses was adopted by the Pharaoh. Ruth adopted by Naomi. Esther adopted by her uncle Mordecai. Joseph adopts his Egyptian grandchildren. Some would even say Abraham was adopted by God. God just chose Abraham to be his people. And then King David, as tribute to his dearest friend Jonathan, adopts the former prince Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And then maybe most interesting, Jesus. Have you ever thought about Jesus? The fact that he was adopted by his earthly dad, Joseph? Jesus, we believe, born by uh, virgin birth, Mary, and the Spirit of God. There was another guy in the picture, by the way. Not to sound scandalous, by the way. But his name was Joseph. And there's this really telling moment where we see adoption language happening at Jesus' birth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, Joseph wakes up, right? An angel had commanded him to do these things. He takes Mary home as his wife. And then verse 25, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And then here's the key part. And he, Joseph, gave name to Jesus. See, in that time, the patriarch, or in Roman language, the pater familia, would be the one to name the child. And it's not just like, huh, like how we named our daughter Hadley. We saw a street sign. The, the street sign was Hadley. We're like, that'd be a great name for a kid. <laughs> That's how Hadley got her name. No, no, no. When you named a child back in that day, when the father named the child, that moment was ceremonious. That moment was the father saying, I am bringing you into my family. You are firm and secure. You are under my custody and care. That naming is a pronouncement of, you are mine. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had his own journey of adoption? A friend of mine wrote a great book. It's called Adopted, the Sacrament of Belonging in a Fractured World, Kelly, Nick, and Deha. And here's what she writes about this moment. She says, Joseph not only gave Jesus a name and a genealogy, Joseph gave Jesus a lived experience of adoption that allowed him to confidently proclaim a new way of belonging. The Holy Family enacted this adoptive dynamic and embodied the truth of the ever-expansive family of God. 
going on to say Jesus, the adopted one, began to crack open and reshape the definition of family. And that cracking and reshaping happened in our story too. My wife and Elise and I, we, uh, for a while and at the time felt like forever, we suffered through infertility. We tried this drug, this thing, that thing. But my brother Robert and his wife Anastasia, they had shared much of what I'm sharing with you. They had shared the beautiful thread line of adoption through the scriptures of God. They had shared their heart for adoption and that deep, deep longing that they had. And that just got kind of filed away. I'm sure I'd heard it before, but somehow it landed in a different place. And in our pain, and in particular, we just suffered a miscarriage. I was out on a prayer walk one day, and just the thought, what about adoption entered into my head? And it just entered in that different way. You know, like sometimes, you know, it wasn't audible, you know, uh, how does God speak to us? It was just this kind of like, well, I'm pretty sure that wasn't my own thought. I'm pretty sure it wasn't because I ate a funky taco the, the night before. Like, this seems to come from an altogether... It had the warmth and the weight of heaven just kind of land in this moment. What about adoption? Now, I knew that somebody in the pain of infertility or the, the loss uh, through miscarriage to just rush to a solution such as what, what, how about adopting can be very, very painful. And so I just said to God in that moment, I just said, Here, here's the deal. If we're to adopt, um, God, I, I'm not going to be able to talk to my wife about this. This could just be too painful. So what I'll do is when it comes to mind, I'm going to pray about it. And, and you deal with her. Like you talk to her about, I know, you know, I'm not even sure that that's what's for us, but just as a thought, I'm going to just pray about it and I'm not even going to bring it up. You're going to have to talk to my wife, Elise. So, uh, I don't know, a couple of months go by and um, as it comes up, I pray about it. I don't want to sound overly spiritual, you know, so who, who knows three or four different times, but I don't bring it up to Elise, just knowing that can be very painful. I'm driving home one day from work. I'm a, I'm a few minutes late, and I call Elise to tell her I'm on my way. And she's kind of short with me. And uh, I'm like, hey, are you okay? And she goes, I'm fine. Uh, uh, are we okay? She's like, we're fine. I'm like, uh, am, I, am I okay? <laughs> you know, it's like, this is not going well. And she's like, yeah, okay, well, do you want to know what's going on? I'm like, uh, I don't know. She goes, well, only for the last two weeks I've been online reading adoption stories and people's blogs. I've been bawling my eyes out and too scared to tell you. I get home and we just look at each other. It's like, how does God speak into two people's hearts? Different for everybody. But in that moment, I'd just been on my own little journey, kind of praying, asking God to move in her heart. She'd been on her own little journey, asking God to move maybe in my heart. The next morning we went to breakfast, and by the time we arrived and parked our car, we knew we wanted to adopt. We wanted to adopt internationally. We wanted to adopt from China, and we were hoping for a girl. And then two and a half years later, I went to China, and I was 
place with this beautiful, it's called gotcha day, by the way, that adoption moment where the child is placed into your arms. And little Fong Pu Han was placed into my arms. We named her Mia, because Mia in many different languages means mine, and we meant for, to, for this to be. No matter your journey to this point, God declares over you, mine, mine. I choose you, mine. And here's a picture of her um, soon after we got her at 10 and a half months. And this is uh, just a few years ago. This is Mia. She's now 15. In the story of our journey, I think I've referenced it many times, but we thought the biological route of having children was improbable. Turns out not. Because six months before we went to get our oldest daughter from China, we were surprised and had a bio kid named Brianna. And so actually, I just went to China with my mom because Elise stayed back with our six and, six and a half month old baby Brianna. And when I got on that plane to go get Mia so that we would have two children, it turns out we were pregnant with our third, Hadley. <laughs> so now you know why we just grabbing names off of street signs <laughs> at that point. <laughs> And uh, for the first five years, my life kind of looked like this. And my wife's life looked like this. <laughs> I think I was on a trip. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What did Kelly Nikandeha say? She said that the reshaping of family got cracked open. The idea of adoption, which for me was always kind of a plan B, got moved to a plan A, and we just couldn't imagine God shaping our family any differently. It's absolutely stunning how God's vision and the richness and the depth to be able to say to my daughter. It's something we celebrate all, all of the time. There was never a moment in Mia's story that we didn't want her to know that her adoption is celebrated by the King of Heaven and by us. We want for her to be nothing short of firm and secure and to know that, yeah, Parenting is hard, whether through adoption, whether you have a child through the foster care system, whether it's a bio kid. Like, parenting is hard, isn't it? It's stretching. It'll take everything you, you, you've got. It will break you down, and I'm still wondering if it will build you back up. I don't know. It'll cost you everything. And the same is true for God himself. Why would God do this? Why would he go to such great lengths to offer his, his very son up on our behalf? Why would he upend everything? Why would he have this in his heart since before the foundations of the world even began? Well, Paul tells us. Let's just, let's just look back at this Ephesians passage. You'll, you'll see it here. 
We'll see it twice over, actually. Ephesians chapter 1. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. He didn't have to do it. It wasn't some obligatory thing. It wasn't some plan B. This was from God's deep heart since before the foundations of the world. Why? Because he wanted to. Because he says over you and me, mine, declares the Lord. I choose you. You're my beloved. You're my beloved. And just in case you're wondering, I'm just pulling out one little thing. Let's look at verse 9. He goes on. He repeats it again. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his, what? Say it with me. Good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So here's what I want for my daughter. Here's what I want for every single one of us. Here's what I want for all three of my daughters, actually. That wherever you feel uncertain and anxious in your life, whether you wonder just do, do I fit within the Shoal Creek community? What, if I, do I even really fit with God? God might be really okay with others, but with me, I just don't know. If people really found out, I just don't know where I fit in things. To move from uncertain to actually beloved. From uncertain to firm and secure. That by the grace of God, you belong in the family of God. And to describe that journey, we've invited Justin to come out and recite a poetic drama of one who moves from that uncertainty around the idea of being adopted to the security and celebration of saying, I am adopted. At night, I lie awake in bed and channel surfing the brain waves in my head and I, I contemplate what does it mean to be adopted to be chosen and sought after to be received with love and laughter to be known missed and remembered as a baby I was chosen though I did not choose them first it was decided at my birth a young girl gave me up an old woman matched me up and my parents picked me up I was adopted my life could have been much harder. I could have been judged by my gender. I could have been uneducated. I could have been longing for a better life. I was adopted, given a new life, told that I could be whoever I wanted to be, that education could help me to be free, to belong to something bigger than just me. I was adopted. My life now could be a lot harder. I could live by my own strength. I could strive but never gain. I could dream but dreams wane. Wondering, am I worthy? Am I loved? Am I my sin? But then a voice would answer from above. I know your name. You are my child. Come, follow me. I am adopted by the Lord Most High with Jesus seated at his side. The Holy Spirit, it's my guide. My guide, it strengthens me. Christ's love has set me free. God's plan is to prosper me. I am worthy. I am loved. I am a child of the God above. And the promises he makes to me, he keeps. 
So to make everything right-sized, I must see with Jesus' eyes and keep my eye upon the prize, eternity. I am adopted. So my brother Robert and Anastasia, they took in Malia. And it was uncertain how long they would have her for it in their care. They just decided, whether it's for five years, five months, we're just gonna love her. We're just gonna love sweet Malia with everything that we've got. And just weeks before Malia's first birthday, the state of Washington, a magistrate, voted against all the professional recommendations and took Malia from their care and reunited her with her mother in a halfway house. We're all for reunification, by the way, but when that foundation is healthy and growing and it didn't appear to be in that case, my brother Robert and Anastasia were given permission from the birth mom very generously to have a one-year birthday party for Malia. And I flew out to be with them, and I'm just, I'll never forget, hanging streamers. And it felt like it was just decorating for a funeral. And seeing my brother open up gifts with Malia on his lap. And, and bath toys and outfits and dolls and things, knowing he would never actually enjoy those moments in the bath in, with the outfits, like I was just seeing the anguish inside of their relinquishing. The love of a parent from, through the foster care system is unlike any other because you just, you love and you love and you love and then all of a sudden they're gone. And, goes, and what goes with that is your heart. And for the next three years, Malia and her birth mom went on their own journey and moved out of the state and with varying levels of contact with my brother and his wife. But they just made a commitment. They just said, no matter what it takes, no matter what we're afforded, any chance that we get to just bring love around not only Malia, but also the birth mom, we're going to do it. And I got to tell you, it was messy and it was painful to watch from afar. And so many of us were just saying, Robert, Anastasia, let go. This is torturing you. This is just breaking you up inside. You can't keep doing this. But they'd get a phone call. They'd get an email. We're going to be in town, the birth mom would say. And they'd drop everything, and they'd lavish love and lavish love and lavish love. Until one day, they received a phone call. It was from the birth mom. She was living in Oregon. And another courageous moment on her part. She said, I'm ready. I can't give my daughter what she most needs and you can will you adopt my child they drove up to Oregon got all the paperwork lined up 
And they had to decide on what to name Malia to give her their official name as being a part of the Deebles. Well, guess what they named her? They named her Malia. Do you know why? Because not only does it mean uncertain, another definition, get this, Malia means beloved. No joke. It means beloved. You are the unequivocal, insatiably loved daughter of God and of us. And that's what Malia means, beloved. My brother is a musician, and he wrote a song about the night that after they finalized all the paperwork and they put Malia and all of their her belongings in the car and they drove the long stretch from Oregon back to Seattle. It was late at night and the moon was big and thick over them and they were driving this tree-lined kind of highway road and Malia was in the back seat just as this little three and a half, almost four-year-old girl and she was giggling as she saw the moon just kind of going in between the trees as if it was playing hide-and-seek with them. So he writes a song about it. I just want you to see some of the lyrics here as you're going to hear the song uh, played in a moment. But look at these lyrics. We drove home through the trees. The moon played with you, hide and seek. And you laughed, and you laughed, and you laughed, playful and free. It felt just like the first time. Like family. Already the stars shine down like northern lights illuminate the wind of road we drive. And we've cried, and we've cried for such a long time. And it feels like for the first time, it's going to be all right. Our beloved. 